Tonight, we're going to continue our journey through Hebrews 11, um, the hall of faith. What we're going to see today is Abraham, by faith, actively offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God, assured by the promises of God that ultimately point to Jesus. To see this, let's start by turning our Bibles to Hebrews. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 17 to 19. And while you turn there, I want to remind us of a couple things as we go there. First, the definition of faith. I hope this is something you're familiar with. You're probably going to hear it every week, and you're going to continue to hear it from these weeks on. It's Hebrews 11.1, 1, saying that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is important, assurance of things hold, hoped for. Hold on to the definition. And then second, we're going to think about where Hebrews is going. And that's Hebrews 12, the next chapter, verses 1 and 2. This is following this hall of faith with the author clarifying why he told us about all of them. And it summarizes it, it says this, lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So with that, let's go to Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, you might have lots of questions coming from this passage. What was the test? What does it mean when he says he offered Isaac? What are the promises? And those are good questions. Without the context of the story that the author is referring to here, it's difficult to know what all those answers are, which is why we're going to go there. And that's found in Genesis chapter 22. The one thing that's not going to get answered in Genesis 22 real clearly is what the promises are. The good thing is this is a part one series out of two. Next week, Cody's going to chat or in chapter 11 to verse 8, and he's going to answer the question, what are these promises um, that the Lord gave to him? But for the time being, I'm going to fly over them and just give a quick overview to kind of give us an idea of why they're important. So first, found throughout Genesis 12 to 17, uh, the first promise is the Lord will make Abraham into a great nation and all the nations will be blessed through him, Genesis 12. The second, his descendants are going to be as many as the stars, Genesis 15. And then finally, the Lord will, will be the God of Abraham and his offspring. And in this case, offspring is referring to Christ. And this is found in Genesis 17. So here's the reason we need to know this. All of this is promised through Isaac, specifically. For it to happen, Isaac has to carry on the line of Abraham. That's why the author of Hebrews pointed it out. Look at the end of verse 19. Through Isaac shall all your offspring be named. Now, with that in mind, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 where this is recorded. And we've got some things to remember now. First, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By this faith, Abraham is offering up Isaac, and through Isaac the promises are received. That might seem confusing. And all this somehow ends up pointing to Christ. So, let's get to Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He, being the Lord, said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That's easy to just read over. But I want to stop and take a moment. What is God asking of Abraham here? He's saying, take Isaac, 
who is your only son in your household right now, who through all the promises of God were promised to him to be established through and sacrifice him. Like what? Like it literally says, burn him. Take the moment. Let the weight of that sink in. God just commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. How does that make sense? And on top of that, doesn't God value human life? Don't we learn from other scripture that God despises human sacrifice? Like Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. It says, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the, norm of your, the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Deuteronomy 18.10, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. And there are more scriptures. It's clear that the Lord despises child sacrifice. So what does this mean? Is God contradicting himself? The answer is no. Look carefully. Moses, the author of Genesis, is very intentional here. Knowing Israel would have the exact same shock that we should be having at this command. So he starts it off this way in verse 1. God tested Abraham. And that leads to the first point. Faith can be tested. God tested Abraham here, and he can test us. And a request like this, after all the promises the Lord has given Abraham, is directly testing his faith in the Lord. This changes the framework of what is happening in this situation. The Lord requires sacrifice, yes, but we know it will not be Isaac. There, remember, there's a never a moment of this out of God's control. His sovereignty was and is complete. We have the blessing of knowing the end of the story. Abraham didn't. We know it's a test. Abraham didn't, which means we should really pay attention to his response. This might be really uncomfortable for you, though. Like, why does God test us? Doesn't he know all things? You'd be correct. He does. <laughs> he does know all things. Tests are not intended to let the Lord know what your faith is. He knows. Rather, it's filling the gap in your life. That's what's happening here. Abraham's journey to this point wasn't perfect. He's a sinful man. But this test shows clearly where his faith stands. The Lord knew where his faith was. But by this test, Abraham could also know with certainty. So let's keep going. How did Abraham respond to this command? Starting in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So what we see here is faith produces obedience. Abraham rose early and saddled his donkey. He trusted the Lord enough to wake up, get his donkey saddled, and cut the wood. Just try imagining what that's like. To believe that your son is going to burn on the wood you're cutting with your own two hands. But he didn't wait. He didn't question God. Some Bible commentators made a really interesting point regarding this passage. If you think about it, it's illogical to saddle your donkey and then cut the wood. At this time especially, cutting the wood wasn't just a quick five-minute project. This was a process that took some time. So why would you saddle your donkey and then take the time to cut the wood? This gives us a clue into the mental and emotional state Abraham had to be in at this point. Either he's just putting off cutting this wood that his son is going to burn on, or he's just so numb from the idea of what the Lord has requested of him, he just can't think about it logically and is just stumbling, getting ready to leave. 
But here's the thing. That's taxing. That's unimaginable. Yet Abraham woke up. He got ready. He began the journey and thought about it for three days, during which, side note, at some point the Lord told him which mountain to go to, and he kept going. He went to that mountain, obeying the Lord. Let's be honest. If the Lord asked you to wake up an hour earlier tomorrow morning to pray, would you do it? If he asked you to give one Sunday every month to serve in children's ministry, would you do it? Or what if he asked you to go to class and talk intentionally to one of your classmates? Would you do it? These are pretty trivial in light of what Abraham was faced with, yet he responded immediately. What does that say about your faith? If something as simple as these things would be hard to follow through on. Remember from last week, Cody talked about how faith produces action. Acknowledging it isn't always enough. For me, serving on Sunday hits home. When I was in college, I didn't. I was involved in a ministry. I knew Christ, but I rejected the body. See, I went to church, but I never served at church. I was too worried about me. Um, I was in college and thought about my classes, and because of that, I rejected enjoining the Lord in his work and advancing his kingdom. I rejected opportunities for community, joy, sanctification, and ultimately I rejected God. Out of your faith, there should be obedience. You should take the time, ask yourself, where aren't you being obedient? Why aren't you being obedient? And then repent of it before the Lord. And as we surrender our life to Christ more, you may ask the question, why? Why should we do it? Sure, I could serve on Sunday. Scripture says to serve the body, I get that. But why should I be motivated to do that? Or let's take Abraham here. Why travel three days to sacrifice your son? Shouldn't he lose faith in the Lord at this point? He's, I mean, the Lord's asking him to kill his son, who through the promises that they're all supposed to be established. Like, shouldn't he lose faith? Let's see, verse five. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. And then he said, Isaac, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Why didn't Abraham lose faith? Because faith trusts the promises of God. Remember the definition of faith, the assurance of things hoped for. Let's think about that definition and what its context was for Abraham. First, what's his hope? The promises. That through Isaac, a living, breathing Isaac, the Lord would advance his promises. The offspring would come. His descendants would be numbered as the stars. He remembered these promises. These are what he was hoping for. So now, how do we know Abraham was assured? Or in other words, how is he confident that this would happen? We can see it here clearly. Verse 5, look, I and the boy will come again to you. He has no doubt and the Hebrews passage that springboarded us here gives us the blessing of insight into what is going on in Abraham's mind, the depth of which he has believed God, that he would, in fact, sacrifice his son. Isaac would die, become ash. Yet even so, 
Hebrews eleven nineteen, God would be able even to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham believed God's word was true, that it would be fulfilled. And because Abraham believed God, he could come to the conclusion that Isaac could die and be raised from the dead. Lord, your promises are true, and no matter what my circumstances are, I can lean on them and hope for them with absolute certainty. Like, what if that was the cry of our hearts now? It was of Abraham's. Abraham, by faith, actively offers Isaac as a sacrifice to God, assured by the promises of God that ultimately point to Jesus. And we're not without promises either. What we have to lean on is even more clear than what was for Abraham. Jesus died and rose, providing justification and salvation for the sinners of the world. And our promise is that if we repent, commit, and commit ourselves to Jesus, then we have the hope of eternal life with the Lord in heaven. We have more. There's another promise. We have the promise that the Lord is working all things for good for those who love God. Romans 8. It's in spite of all the chaos in this world. Or about this one. The promise that the Spirit of God indwells us as believers, providing access to God himself at all times, Ezekiel 36, which was fulfilled in Christ. Remind yourself of these promises. Know them. Memorize them. So that when testing and suffering comes, like it did for Abraham, these promises come to mind immediately. That is assurance of things hoped for. Abraham was reminded over and over by God the promises he had been given. We should remind ourselves over and over the promises we have been given. Abraham was tested and he knew them and leaned on them. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He, the angel of the Lord, said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. (laughs) What a climax to the story. But something stands out to me in this section. Faith reveals the fear of God. Look at verse 12. Now I know that you fear God, so you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This verse tells us that the point of the test was to see if Abraham feared God. And because Abraham did fear God, he was able to actively show the Lord his fear by faith. Look, he has the knife in his hand. He is as close to taking the life of Isaac as he could get. Hebrews 11, verse 17, when it's referring to Abraham in the act, It's likely thinking of this moment, knife in hand, ready to come down and take the life of Isaac. Abraham's faith led to a right view of God, one where he feared him in faith. And since Abraham feared God, he could by faith immediately obey and lean on God's promises to get to this point, even though this point meant he was ready to end the life of his son. Which is why the author of Hebrews points out that figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead. Isaac was as good as dead at this moment with the knife in Abraham's hand. Now, with this and talking about fear, I want to be really clear what fear means in Scripture when it's being talked of here. The first definition, if you're like me, of fear that likely comes to mind is this irrational fear, something like a threat, like 
For me, it's a snake. I'm absolutely terrified of snakes. Like, to the point if I'm, like, walking down a street or a road and there's some leaves and I think I hear a snake rattling in the, in the leaves, I'm legitimately jumping. Um, that's not the fear that the Lord should invoke. It's this idea of a reverent fear. The idea that if I reflect on who God is, who I am before him and what that means, I should come away worshiping with a posture of throwing myself on the ground before him in submission. Like Isaiah, who before the throne of God could only cry out, woe is me. Let's think about it this way. One of the promises we have as believers is the spirit of God indwelling us. What that means is we have access to the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is where the presence of the Lord dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament. This place was entered once a year by the high priest to atone for the sins of the people that year. But here's the thing. When he went in, he had to have a rope tied around his waist because if he made a single mistake, that would lead to his death. The Lord's that holy. We have access to this holiness at every moment. The creator, the sustainer, the holy God who is perfect and just and hates sin is with me as a believer, a sinful, wretched man. He could look on my heart at this moment, see the sin, and justly drop me dead. Yet he sees me innocent by the blood of Christ on the cross. Like that is terrifyingly beautiful and I'm able to worship him for it with the Spirit of God with me. But when I hold my life next to the holiness of God, I feel the fear of the unworthiness I possess before him. That's the right fear of God, the fear that will lead you to submit to the Lord even if it doesn't make sense for your life. Maybe he's calling you to missions, to reach the unreached. Are you not following immediately in obedience because you don't fear the Lord? I spoke of not obeying the Lord uh, to serve at church when I was in college. And I told you to ask the question, why am I not obeying? For me, I didn't fear the Lord. And because I didn't, I elevated myself as more important, so my things were worth more of my time. Thus, I didn't need to invest the time in serving the church. And because I didn't fear the Lord, I didn't lean on the promise that he was going to advance his kingdom through the body. And so I disobeyed. Don't let that be you. Don't miss out on what the Lord has. Seek to know the Lord more intimately. And in doing so, you will fear him more. So now let's finish, starting in verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed me. The final thing to leave you with is where Hebrews is going. Look to Jesus. Genesis 22 is full of foreshadowing and imagery of Christ. I largely went over it as we've gone through it. But it's keyed on across the rest of scripture. It's incredible. What we're going to look closely at 
is the ram provided in verse 13 in conjunction with verse 8. But before that, let's just fly through the chapter again. I want to show you how present Jesus is across it all. So here we go. Land of Moriah, verse 2. This one's a little bit harder to see since we're not familiar with the region, but the land of Moriah is where the future temple was going to be built. The place where the future sacrifices were going to be made and the place where the future lamb, Jesus, was going to be crucified for the sins of the world. Three-day journey, verse 4. Does that sound familiar? Christ died and rose three days later. Verse 6. The wood is laid on the sun and carried up the mountain to where he would be killed. Let's take that in light of John 19, 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross. Verse 8. God will provide for himself a lamb. That lamb is Jesus. Verse 14. It's future tense. It says the Lord will provide. Who will he provide? Jesus. And then verses 16 to 18, the promises restated, which we mentioned pointed to Jesus' coming. Notice here that the Lord swears on himself to establish and assure the certainty of Jesus' coming. This is beautiful. But now let's look a little bit more closely. Verses 8 and then 13 to 14. So in verse 8, Abraham says to Isaac that the Lord will provide a lamb for himself. Now, I don't know for sure exactly what Abraham means. He, whether, one, he's prepared to kill Isaac and knows the Lord could provide a little lamb in place of Isaac, or two, if Isaac is the lamb the Lord has provided for himself. I lean towards the latter because of the faith that Abraham has shown and that what is shown in Hebrews, but regardless of what either one, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. And that's not missed in the rest of scripture. But here's the thing. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. A ram is provided. Isaac doesn't need to be sacrificed. But notice, a sacrifice still happens. Just because it wasn't Isaac doesn't mean a sacrifice wasn't needed. And the beauty is, many see this as where substitutionary atonement is established, which is fat, fancy terminology, meaning that Jesus died for us. His death atoned or cleared the sins of us who put our faith in him and repent. That's why verse 14 is future tense. The Lord will provide. Abraham knows it hasn't been done yet. The seed to crush the serpent's head that was promised way back in Genesis 3, that's not here yet. It wasn't Isaac. It wasn't this ram. The seed is his future offspring, Christ. And again, that's not missed. Let's look in the New Testament. John 1, 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by, and this is what he declares. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb that the Lord would provide for himself. Or 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. And if you call on him as father, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Or my favorite, Revelation 5, 12. This one is so great. This is a multitude in heaven proclaiming, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb. 
The lamb was provided in Jesus. Look to him. Abraham, by faith, actively offered Isaac as a sacrifice to God, assured by the promises of God that ultimately point to Jesus. To get where Hebrews 11 is going, let's have 12, 1 to 2 from Hebrews in mind. As we run with endurance the race that is set before us, look to Jesus, assured by the promises of God. And by faith, immediately obey. Lean on the promises we're given. Grow in fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, just so thankful um, that your promises are true. Your promises are uh, rock solid, Lord. We can lean on them. They're our refuge. Uh, and we can stand here knowing in the midst of a chaotic world, things going on that we don't always understand. We don't know why it's happening, Lord. We can lean on your promises. We know they're true. Lord, you're worthy of praise. You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of glory. You've shown us that in Jesus on the cross through his death and resurrection. Lord, giving us the opportunity to join you and be with you. Lord, I just pray that that will rest on our hearts. We'll think about that, Lord, and just enjoy the opportunity we get to know you more. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.